0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's time for the playoffs. It's time to decide who's going to Vegas. Will it be Baltimore, Miami, Kansas City, or Buffalo coming out of the AFC? Is it going to be San Francisco, Dallas, Detroit even coming out of the NFC? Pick your two conference champions, parlay it, and remember, get your 50% welcome bonus on that first parlay using our promo code BLEAV when you use the link in the description to this episode at Sportsbook. Bet online where the game starts.
1: Russell Wilson will be riding the bench the rest of the way. Broncos willing to take on the dead cat. Of his contract they they don't even care they're just like screw it we're gonna cut him by march then that just brings up the questions of what is going to happen in russell wilson's future i mean he didn't have a bad year touchdowns up interceptions down the sean payton experiment with russell wilson it worked from a statistical point of view unfortunately the win-loss record i guess just wasn't good enough there was some internal strife between russell wilson and sean payton we saw that blow up on the sidelines and now we've landed in this point. So when you think about where Russell Wilson's going to be playing next year, what do you think is a, a location, a team that you could see him suiting up for?
0: Okay, so everything that's happened here with Russell Wilson is really interesting because the Broncos have essentially said that we don't have a backup plan. We don't have a contingency plan, but we also don't want Russell Wilson. And you just don't usually see that level of disrespect and being thrown out the door by a player of Russell Wilson's caliber and granted he did most of his winning and successes in a potential Hall of Fame career with another team so maybe that makes it easier at the end like when Derek Carr got shown the door by the Raiders it was like the ultimate disrespect because even as mid as we joke Derek Carr is he's still the franchise's all-time leader in passing touchdowns and games started and stuff like that I
1: guess my question with that is do you think that Sean Payton went into the season with an agenda to already have an exit plan on Russell Wilson
0: Yes, because uh, if you saw the tweet, that was basically like an article from Jordan Schultz. It's like 2,000 words in a tweet. Jordan Schultz put out that on October 29th, after the Broncos beat Kansas City in the Patrick Mahomes flu game, two days later on Halloween, the Broncos went to Russell Wilson and said, either you're going to be benched for the season or you're going to remove the injury clause in your contract that says if you get hurt you get 38 million dollars guaranteed on in addition to the 39 million dollars they'll already be paying as a dead cap when they cut him in february maybe march and so russell wilson was apparently shocked by this blindsided he wasn't going to waive the the injury deferments he went to the nflpa the broncos himself his representation and apparently some independent fourth party and they started working on what recourse they had and then russell wilson kept playing the broncos kept winning they ironically got into the playoff race after being like three and eight at the time that all of this was going down they they jumped into the playoff race and then they lost in new england and as soon as they lost in new england that's when the broncos looked up and said there is no chance we're going to make the playoff we do not see a future with Russell Wilson, so we're going to just end the relationship right now. Like with Derek Carr last year, I don't see a scenario where Russell Wilson is going to show up next week. They're going to deactivate him. They're going to send him home. He's essentially no longer a Denver Bronco, and as Jordan Schultz talked about, like the, the relationship was done. When they came to him and d- said this, this was a major riff in the relationship, they knew as of October— that this thing was done with Russell Wilson. They they did not see him as the future. They were not going to go forward with Russell Wilson. So yeah, I think going into the season, Sean Payton had a, a, an idea in his mind that they weren't going to have Russell Wilson as the long-term option at quarterback. And frankly, they don't have an alternative option right now. They have just essentially done what Arthur Smith did a few years ago in Atlanta, which was, we're going to get rid of Matt Ryan, but we're not going to have a contingency plan for how to replace Matt Ryan. They've just made the conclusion that we are going to get rid of Russell Wilson and we'll see how it goes for the Broncos but to to answer your original question yes I do believe that going into the season this was premeditated they they were not going to run it back with Russell Wilson
1: and you have to think though at least this season Sean Payton definitely built up his coaching equity because I mentioned it you look at the raw numbers and Russell Wilson was performing a lot better than he was last year like night and day between Nathaniel Hackett's offense and Sean Payton's offense So Sean Payton, he's a main man. He's eating up all that Walmart money right now without a quarterback. That's always a precarious position to find yourself in as a head coach. You mentioned the successes, the unexpected successes that the Broncos have had this year in terms of the win loss record. I mean, coming off of that 70 point beatdown against the Miami Dolphins, I never at any point thought that Broncos would have made it back into the playoff picture as you mentioned, but sure enough, they did. And that's a good thing in the sense that it built up some players' confidence, kind of like got things moving in the right direction, got the snowball rolling the right way. But it was also a bad thing in terms of, well, now you're not at the top of the draft anymore. Now you can't take advantage of this quarterback-loaded draft that's coming up. There's some interesting guys that might fall, like I've heard Penix's name kind of like fall a little bit in most mock drafts. So maybe the Broncos could still capitalize on that. If they still draft a quarterback high, I would not be surprised. But it kind of makes you think that they're probably going to have to look at some of this bridge quarterback market, some interesting names potentially out there. Like uh, I think Ryan Tannehill, for example, is going to be like a name out there or like, (laughs) um, gosh, I don't know. Like maybe you just sign a guy like Sam Darnold or something like that. Future
0: Denver Broncos quarterback
1: Gardner Minshew. (laughs) Uh, Gardner Minshew. Uh, well, you think about all the backup quarterbacks that have come in this year and had success. If it's not just straight up Jared Stidham, then, you know, maybe a Jake Browning who actually had success. There, There's like all these backup quarterbacks who came in and actually had something. Andy Dalton. I don't know. Does he go back there to be another bridge quarterback for another guy that gets drafted? Maybe, but that's kind of like what I'm looking at the Broncos next step for Russell Wilson, like his market. So he's obviously, like I said, the numbers are there so he's not bad enough to drop into like backup tier. I don't see him backing up anywhere. I see him being a starter somewhere. Um, when I think about teams out there that could use a guy like Russell Wilson, well, first off the Broncos who are about to cut him, but (laughs) as crazy Uh. as it is, um, Seattle, Pittsburgh, New England, some of the names that come to mind, maybe just, you know, fitting personality with like scheme. I don't know. Like,
0: the Russell Wilson experiment coming to an end. I've said this from the very beginning with the, with the Denver Broncos. I would not have traded for Russell Wilson. I would not have given up what they gave up for Russell Wilson. However, I understand why the Broncos did what they did. They were at a situation where they didn't want to go into a rebuild. They did they didn't want to tear this thing to the ground after Vic Fangio got fired and they were 7 and 10, even though that was the direction they probably should have gone. They wanted to try and compete, and it wasn't the right plan, but I understand why they did it in the first place. They they took two years' worth of rebuilding draft picks and young players and traded it for Russell Wilson, and I understand why they did that, even if the I thought the direction their organization was at was to move into the rebuilding phase, to capitalize on the quarterback classes of 2021 or maybe 2022, uh, 2022 or 2023, I understand why they did what they did and now at the end of this experience maybe it's time to actually go do the rebuilding thing like they said they would but the thing is now they actually have a not terrible team so i just i don't know what the broncos do to kind of jump from this purgatory or where they stand going into that year because i don't know what the roster is going to look like what they do now that they actually have draft picks back it'll be interesting to see the direction that they go in terms of russell wilson I you threw out the names that jumped to mind right away for me, the, the Patriots, who are probably going to still end up with a shot at a rookie quarterback. I know they're at the, the three pick right now and could fall to the four pick, depending on how tiebreakers go between them and Washington. But the, the Patriots are definitely in that group. The Steelers make a lot of sense. One team you didn't mention is Atlanta. I think Atlanta would be a team that would maybe get in the Russell Wilson game because they have money to spend and they can front load the contract get the guarantees out of the way and similar to Derek Carr after two or three years you can move on from the contract and make it seem like a four-year deal if it works out for everyone but it's really a two or a three-year contract I think Atlanta makes a lot of sense I think the Titans make sense there's some teams out there it's just figuring out where Russell Wilson wants to play at this stage of his career and what he feels the next step is going to be, because he will have suitors. He'll have teams that are willing to dish out money to a big time quarterback. It's just figuring out the match that will work for Russell Wilson.
1: Yeah. When it comes to Russ, like think about those matches a little bit. So, you know, the Seattle one is, is weird. Obviously there is some tension there, but if you ask me where Russell Wilson's Jersey is going to be hung in the rafters, obviously it would be in Seattle. It's like, It kind of makes me feel as though like any tension, any bridges that needed to be closed. I think there's potential there. Don't don't sleep on it because come on, they have Geno Smith right now. And as nice as the last two seasons of Geno has been, there's always been something kind of lackluster whenever they go against tougher opponents. Let's face it. Every time they go against the San Francisco 49ers, Geno Smith just gets absolutely ragdolled out there. He does not look like he belongs on the field out there that's a problem when you look at Russell Wilson's track record against that same San Francisco 49ers I believe as a Seahawk he was 16 and four and hell he's one even one and oh as a Denver Bronco last year going back to last year's game between the Broncos and Niners it's hard to find a guy that has that kind of ownage and track record against one of your top division rivals so maybe that's even something that they consider. And what was some of the complaints from Russell Wilson in Seattle whenever um, he left? You know, their offensive line wasn't good enough. He felt like they didn't have enough playmakers on offense and defense, respectively. Well, because of the Russell Wilson trade, now Seattle has all those things. So if you told me there was some mending offenses that happened there, I wouldn't completely downplay it. If- eventually, those will be fixed because... Seattle wants Russell Wilson to be a guy that comes back to town, and they have fun and they hang out and they do all these special celebrations moving forward. They don't want to end completely on a sour note. Um, The other teams that we mentioned so New England chaos kind of happening there right now with the coaching situation. We don't know if Bill is going to be back next year. And even if Bill Belichick was back in New England, would I see Russell Wilson and Bill Belichick getting along and playing nice? If Sean Payton couldn't play nice with Russell Wilson, then I don't see Bill Belichick and Russell Wilson being necessarily simpatico working together. Same goes with Pittsburgh, actually, too. Like, at this current juncture in time, like, do I think that Kenny Pickett's done enough to, like, earn a surefire spot as, like, a starter in this league? No, based off the current numbers, but we know, obviously, they fired their offensive coordinator during the middle part of the year. I think if you told me that Kenny Pickett was going to at least get a third year to figure it out, I, I think that that's probably the most likely conclusion and we'll see what happens too with like Mike Tomlin. We know that Pittsburgh doesn't fire coaches, but it does seem like things are starting to get a little bit weird there at this point, just given where they've been the last couple of years and given what this year has turned into. And then you mentioned Atlanta. Okay. So Atlanta, they do have the money to spend Kyle Pitts, Drake, London, Bijan John Robinson, Tyler Algier, a decent offensive line to work with and a ascending defense. If he went there, they have all the right pieces. They they really do. They do have an interesting team. And if he went there, I think that they could compete. Because, you know, you look at the current state of the NFC South. It's a very winnable division. If they just had the right quarterback play. Unfortunately for me, that's a lot of the same things we said about Denver. And when he went to that situation, that, look, he's as two young ascending wide receivers, a couple playmakers, Javante Williams. He goes to Denver. They should be able to fix everything. I... I It's ultimately going to come down to they have the right coach. It's a shame that this relationship couldn't work. But like you said, it just seemed like a relationship that was just bound not to work. It was destined to fail. I think even if you go back to like whenever Payton was doing like uh, hits on the herd last year, he was even saying Russell Wilson wasn't really working out in Denver. And it's just funny. He goes there to coach and is like a year later. Yeah, I can't work with this guy.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I think Russell Wilson will have options, but there will be some teams that I don't think the fit will work out for both sides. Like I've heard a lot of people saying Washington, new ownership money that's coming into Washington with Josh Harris and Magic Johnson and them. Uh, the Raiders is a team that makes sense, but I don't think it, like in terms of a quarterback need, but I don't think the Raiders are really going to get yeah, that game.
1: Like I look at the Raiders, I I was going to mention them. The one thing that kind of held me back is like they, they wanted to see what they had with Aiden and Connell. Again, a guy who I don't know, did he do enough this season to really secure a job next year? They won their last game against Kansas City, but at the same time, Aiden O'Connell had like 68 passing yards in that game. So I'm like, is he good enough? Obviously, they're not sold on Jimmy. They're going to cut him, too. So like the Raiders don't have a quarterback set in the future, but I think that they're more likely to maybe even make an aggressive trade for a quarterback like in this year's rookie class. Like keep an eye on the Raiders to do something like that. Heck, keep an eye on the Broncos to do something like that, uh, given what their current draft position is.
0: Yeah, and and you mentioned some of the teams earlier. Like I think Seattle is inclined to draft a quarterback but not necessarily draft a quarterback with their first pick in the draft. Like I, Seattle has only picked one quarterback in the draft since Pete Carroll has been there and it's been Russell Wilson. So I think they are looking at the options they have. I, if Penix falls to them at 22 or whatever pick they're going to have, because they'll get the seventh wild card spot and lose in the first round. Like if Penix falls to them, it might be too perfect of a match because he already plays in Seattle at the University of Washington. But if not, I think the Seahawks like wait till the second round to maybe go quarterback. Patriots, I think, are taking a quarterback at the top of the draft. That seems pretty clear at this point. So where does that leave the the options on the table? Is it Pittsburgh? like we mentioned before doesn't seem like the the greatest fit in the world in terms of schematically I mean, they don't have a scheme right now, but it doesn't seem like the greatest fit in the world for where Russell Wilson is at that stage of his career. Tennessee is a team that I'll still throw out there. I know Tennessee is going to move on from Ryan Tannehill and they have Will Levis and they want to see what Will Levis has the system, but I don't want to discount the fact that if you have Russell Wilson available at your disposal, maybe you have Will Levis bridge because Will Levis has been very good this year, but it's not so good that I wouldn't contemplate the Russell Wilson scenario, but I understand why they want to roll with Will Levis. I get it. I think Tennessee would be a great fit for Russell Wilson at this stage of his career, but I don't think Tennessee is necessarily matching up. So in that sense, maybe the suitors are, are kind of up in the air. I'm sure there's one or two that we're not anticipating because like they'll unexpectedly move on from a quarterback or something like that. I'm sure there will be some team that is in the quarterback market. That we're not foreseeing but those seem like the the likely options for russell
1: you know it's funny usually i would like say with a guy like russell wilson it would be like one of his former coordinators or former quarterback coaches that would like advocate for the guy and bring him in but russell wilson and his coordinators and quarterback coaches of the past haven't really worked out obviously most of them have ended up getting fired in seattle mostly as a result of Russell Wilson saying these guys are bogus. I mean, I guess if Shane Waldron got a head coaching job at a place that didn't have an established quarterback, maybe that might be something to keep an eye out for. Again, call me crazy. I I think Seattle makes the most sense. I I would just be curious, how do the fans take it if that was to happen? Would the fans be happy about that or do you think they would embrace him with open arms? What What say you, Kyle?
0: Well, to your point about former coordinators and quarterback coaches being in other places, there is a perfect scenario set up for him right now because uh, one of the former Seattle quarterback coaches is now the offensive coordinator of the completely revamped Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But why would you go get Russell Wilson when you have an elite quarterback in his 20s like Baker Mayfield, who they're about to sign (laughs) to a long-term extension? I mean,
1: mean, Baker's been playing balls out this year. I can't take anything (laughs) away from Baker.
0: Yeah, he's been amazing. They've had the best offense in football the last three weeks. It's absolutely ridiculous. The The, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have revived Baker Mayfield's career, and they're going to sign him to a long-term extension this offseason instead of trying to find another quarterback option. If Russ does end up back in Seattle, I don't think Seattle's entirely thrilled with him right now. And I do think, okay, so Geno Smith is popular, even if there is a ceiling on Geno Smith. But the thing that I thought was super interesting is that in Russell Wilson's last 30 games, with the Seattle Seahawks, including playoffs, Russell Wilson went 15 and 15. And in Geno Smith's first 30 games with the Seahawks, including playoffs, he went 15 and 15. So like the results have been essentially identically mid for about, you know, three, four seasons now for the Seattle Seahawks. And if that's gonna be your end result, like I don't think Russell Wilson is a long-term option to get you over the hump, but I don't know what is the long-term option to get Seattle over the hump. Is it drafting a quarterback? who because of Pete Carroll and that offense and having the running backs at your disposal, like is the long-term option for Seattle to draft a Michael Penix or a Bo Nix in the second round, and then that will be your developmental project that turns into a quarterback for seven or eight years. I don't know. Seattle had that top pick years ago from the Broncos, or I guess that was last year, and instead of going the quarterback (laughs) route, they went the defense route. So you know i don't know where seattle's gonna go in that sense i i don't feel like forever ago huh yeah it feels like a lot it's weird that nathaniel hackett was last year right christmas day last year was when he was giving up like 50 points to the rams and getting fired so it seems weird
1: you know we, we haven't even talked about this aspect of it how bad that trade is in hindsight for the broncos I mean literally you give up all these pieces, all this, uh, draft assets that the Seattle Seahawks actually parlayed into players. You know, they actually parlayed Mm -hmm. them into actually decent players in the league, put that against like what the Broncos have currently with this dead cap hit coming up, this no direction at quarterback. Um, and it literally just took place over a year and a half. Like the fact that it was a year and a half of Russell Wilson for that trade, that draft capital. I mean this has to be, I'm not going to say worst of all time, because like, I'm sure if I look back at the history of the league, there's probably 10 other trades that are worse, but it, it's, it's up there. It's definitely up there.
0: Yeah. I think Adam Schefter put out the final details of the trade, which is, uh, now in hindsight, they got Russell Wilson and was who was a fifth round pick in the deal in exchange for drew Locke, Noah fan, Shelby Harris, the first round pick that became Charles cross the second round pick that became Boye Mafé, the fifth round pick that became Tyreek Smith, the first round pick number five overall that became Devin Witherspoon, and the second round pick that became Derek Hall. That is five future draft picks, plus Noah Fant, who I know hasn't worked out great and they've kind of moved on. He's kind of lost his his position in Seattle as a starting tight end for Colby Parkinson and guys like that, but was a former first round pick. Like they took him in the first round and traded him within two years of picking him in the first round. They got two top 10 draft picks out of it, a starting left tackle, a starting corner, two edge rushers, and a quarterback who put on that backpack and won them a game to put them in the playoffs at the end of this season. Even as I think Drew Locke belongs in the XFL, Drew Locke did lead a 91-yard drive to get the Seattle Seahawks into the playoffs. So you know what? Might go down as one of the worst trades in the history of the NFL. And this is why the Denver Broncos, I'm getting real close to saying it, but I know they have Sean Payton. It has been a decade of irrelevance for the Denver Broncos. Now, this will be their eighth consecutive season missing the playoffs. We have watched in real time as they have gone from being the team that was winning the Super Bowls with the best defense in the league to Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid taking that division from them in the same way that the Dolphins of Dan Marino totally disappeared once the New England Patriots came into the picture and the Dolphins still haven't won a playoff game since Y2K since 2000 was the last time the Dolphins won a playoff game. We saw in real time the Broncos go from the no-fly zone defense that carried them to a Super Bowl, to becoming completely irrelevant in the landscape of the NFL over the last decade. And at the end of this entire run, we're getting real close to welcoming the Denver Broncos to a second decade of irrelevance within the NFL landscape.
1: All right, guys. Well, what do you make of the Russell Wilson decision to put him on the bench to ride the pine? Like to hear your thoughts in the comment section. Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time. The Las Vegas Raiders got a big time victory against their division rival, the Kansas City Chiefs. A couple of defensive scores in there. Uh, Antonio Pierce, like the last two weeks, like you look at where this team has been. I mean, just absolutely kicking the shit out of the Los Angeles Chargers on Thursday night football, Uh, primetime television, just absolutely making a statement. Uh, This defense, we're talking about the Raiders defense, which has largely been neglected, has largely been talked about as one of the worst defenses in the league over the last few years. Well, this defense, the last handful of weeks, it's really stepped up. And I I think a a large part of that is obviously the culture that Antonio Pierce is building. Now, we know the Raiders have made mistakes with hiring or not hiring uh, interim head coaches in the past. Kyle Ledbetter, when you look at this current Raider situation, do you think they'd be crazy to not hire Antonio Pierce as their head coach Tomorrow, for example.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to think about, especially because everyone keeps saying this is a really weak class of hiring for NFL head coaches. It seems like people really like Antonio Pierce with the Raiders. They've obviously started winning games here at the end of the season, which at the beginning, I wasn't really sold on Antonio Pierce because it seemed like the reason he was hired is because he was a Raider type of coach. And usually those things are like, OK, Mark Davis, I'm sure you with your long track record of success in the NFL are good at identifying people who are instinctively head coaching material for the Raiders. I'm sure that that's the right hiring process to to go ahead. But Honestly, this thing has worked out really well. Like, I I can't Steve Wilkes last year with the Panthers was another case of a head coaching hiring working out really, really well in terms of an interim coach coming in and having the respect of the locker room. You're not seeing that with Chris Taver this year for the Panthers, even as they beat the Falcons nine to seven. You're not seeing that this year in Carolina the way it was last year with Steve Wilkes. So you're seeing the the signs of success at the Raiders. And and by the way, the thing that The thing that took me from skeptical on Antonio Pierce to being a big, big fan of Antonio Pierce was him absolutely embarrassing the Chargers, embarrassing the team that left my hometown, (laughs) the team that I grew up rooting for and have quit that narcotic for seven years. Embarrassing the Chargers on Thursday night football was amazing. And that was the moment where I was like, and Antonio Pierce at halftime was saying don't take your foot off the pedal. Keep going. Keep going. I was like, yes, <laughs> he got Brandon Staley fired. Coach.
1: <laughs> he ended Brandon Staley's career.
0: Yeah, it was awesome. He embarrassed the Chargers. Dean Spanos was embarrassed on national TV. There were reports who were saying Dean Spanos was saying in the press box, this shit show ends now once They were beating the living crap out of the Chargers. I wish they could have only gone for 70. That's the only thing that I could hold Antonio Pierce to is I wish they would have scored 70 because they scored 63 points in three quarters. It took them 30 seconds into the fourth quarter to get to 63 before they just said, sorry, we're just going to take our foot off the gas now. Sorry, we've we've Mm -hmm. embarrassed you in a historic fashion. Now we're going to quit. And that was the thing that got me in on Antonio Pierce. I hope that he gets the head coaching job for the Raiders, but it's the Raiders, man. They are, they have made terrible head coaching hire after terrible head coaching hire time and time again, not just under Mark Davis, but also at the end of the Al Davis regime. Like at a certain point, the, the bravado of Al Davis stopped working. It stopped being charming. It stopped being successful as everyone else in the league got wiser and smarter to what builds a successful football yeah. team. The Raiders fell behind the curve and they've still been trying to dig themselves out of it. Hence the fact that this offseason they were instinctively out on Lamar Jackson would not pursue Lamar Jackson. Even when the Raiders or the Ravens were in contract disputes with him. And he kind of half-heartedly requested a trade would not engage with Lamar Jackson and then went out and signed Jimmy Garoppolo. Like the Raiders time and time again, have made the wrong decision they hire coaches to inevitably get fired. And so I think the Raiders are just kind of looking up and saying, this is our fifth head coaching hire of the last 10 years. Every single one has ended in a different embarrassing mistake. So maybe this time we just give Antonio Pierce a try. We don't really have to pay him top of the league money and we'll see what happens.
1: I'll I'll give a little bit of grace here because like hiring coaches to get fired. I don't think that's completely true. I think Mark Davis, obviously, if he would have hired people that would have stayed around for twenty years, he would have had it that way. Obviously, he signed Grudd into that ten-year contract. It didn't work out for a unexpected, completely blindsiding reason why it didn't work out. Uh, Josh McDaniels, I think that they went into this not with the intention of firing him after a two-year experiment or a year and a half experiment, whatever it was. They went in expecting Josh McDaniels second time around. It would have worked out. When I look at potentially what could happen this offseason so you mentioned the hiring class it's not a lot of exciting guys the the biggest name that you're going to find out there is going to be Jim Harbaugh you, the another big name you're going to see out there potentially would be like if we Bill Belichick really does get let go of the Patriots but I doubt that that would be a direction they would go in
0: I, you're saying no 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 you're saying that the organization In which Bill Belichick would be joining, his boss would be Tom Brady. You're telling me that Bill Belichick would want to sign up for that universe where Tom Brady
1: is signing the paychecks indirectly that Bill Belichick is getting? Well, that would be kind of a hilarious turn of events, not gonna lie. I didn't (laughs) even think about the Tom Brady aspect when it comes to the Raiders. Obviously, they could go the big name route, but they went the big name route the last couple of times. It might just be okay just to go in this Antonio Pierce direction but there is the drawbacks of course with Antonio Pierce you're hiring a CEO style head coach and we know that Antonio Pierce isn't going to offer much in terms of play calling or the player selection element of things which obviously is going to have its shortcomings moving forward like if you draft a young quarterback like let's say they go in that direction they trade up they draft a young quarterback you're not getting a guy that's going to develop that quarterback, you know, with Antonio Pierce. And that's a thing that we've seen in a lot of NFL hirings over the last few years, this direction of wanting to go offensive minded. And I'm not against it because, you know, the beautiful thing with the Niners right now, for example, the Niners have Kyle Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan's not going anywhere. Anytime like the offense is successful, Kyle Shanahan's still going to stay there because. Well, he's the head coach. He's locked in. You know, he can work with Brock Purdy for years to come. Um, When it comes to like these guys that have to hire their offensive coordinator, that offensive coordinator has one good year. He's gone. You know, Ben Johnson, he's gone. Bobby Slowick. he's gone. As soon as they have like that head coaching opportunity from engineering like a good offense, they're gone. And then your young quarterback is just left there with potentially the Alex Smith situation where you have six different coordinators in your first seven years and you're just like left like with no continuity and you know that's where we see so many teams go wrong uh particularly when they do draft quarterbacks which it does seem like the Raiders might end up doing because that might just be the right direction because again Aiden O'Connell we talked about it in another video yeah they beat the Chiefs but he threw for 68 passing yards if I don't know how you could be sold on Aiden O'Connell after this year Now, maybe he does develop into something down the line. But this year, I haven't seen anything from him that suggests he's your franchise quarterback. I haven't seen anything that suggests that he's even worthy of wearing number four directly after Derek Carr, who was almost a 10-year starter for you. That was kind of crazy. Talk about shade. The Raiders organization still throwing at Derek Carr. Aiden O'Connell taking his jersey number literally a year later.
0: It also doesn't help that Aiden O'Connell looks like Derek Carr if, like, you're casting an actor to play Derek Carr in a movie about Devontae Adams. Like, it doesn't help that there's, like, a striking resemblance and both of them were number four. But to your point, in the game against the Chargers, Aiden O'Connell had a 120.7 passer rating, four touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Again, Aiden O'Connell will forever love you for doing that to the Chargers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For doing that to the chargers and they also have the other games on his career which if you include the game where he had 120 passer rating four touchdowns and zero ints he still has a worse passer rating than sam howell still has a worse passer rating in his career than sam howell he has a 78.7 passer rating eight touchdowns seven interceptions aiden o'connell is a backup quarterback that's fine. He's a backup quarterback in this league. The Raiders are a bad team. Yes, 100%. Now they are seven and eight, and they do finish the season against the Colts and the Broncos, and they're technically not eliminated from winning the AFC West yet, because if Kansas City loses to the Bengals of Jake Browning and the Easton Stick Chargers, then the Raiders beat the Broncos and beat the Colts. The Raiders technically win the AFC West. However, that's not going to happen because I bet you Kansas City's not going to lose to Easton Sticks Chargers. And the Raiders are probably going to lose one of those games to either Jarrett Stidham or to the the Colts. I mean, that I know we see those teams that are like, oh, the Raiders can win those games. No, the Raiders are going to probably be underdogs against the Colts. And it might be a push at home against Jarrett Stidham's Broncos. The Raiders are not a very good team, but the reason they've won two games in a row, and this is a great stat, is that the Raiders are the first team since the merger to have multiple defensive touchdowns in back-to-back games. They had three, I believe, against the Chargers. They had two against Kansas City. They did not score an offensive touchdown against Kansas City, but defense has been incredibly, incredibly good And they've had some incredibly, incredibly lucky plays on defense, like pick sixes and strip sixes are some of the most random moments that you see in the NFL. It's usually a combination of offense making a big mistake and defense making a great play. Rare do you ever see defensive touchdowns on a scale that the Raiders are getting the last two weeks. And I wouldn't base like the hiring process of Antonio Pierce based on, well, look at this defensive improvement. No, the defense is scoring a lot of points. And I know that's going to make it look better, but those are those are not things that are going to translate. Again, it's the first time since the merger that a team has had multiple defensive touchdowns in back-to-back games. This is an incredible statistical anomaly on defense. I wouldn't base that on the decision to hire Antonio Pierce, but I would look at it and say, Patrick Graham is a pretty good defensive coordinator. Like when he was uh, with Joe judge and the giants, everyone seemed to really love Patrick Graham. And they were advocating for him being the coach after they fired Joe judge. And now he's gotten to the Raiders. That defense really seems to rally around him. Antonio Pierce used to be a linebackers coach in that defense. It seems like they might struggle to, to hire an offense, coordinator, because there's just a shortage of those in the NFL right now. And they don't really have a quarterback or, very much to get you excited on the offensive side of the ball but that defense looks like patrick graham is the guy that they should keep around and if antonio pierce is kind of the the emotional soul of that defense then maybe it's worth keeping antonio pierce around
1: all right guys do you think that antonio pierce will be the next las vegas raiders full-time head coach. like to hear your thoughts in the comment section. Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time. Uh, since last time we talked, guys, we didn't have like the deferments. We didn't know what exactly the Dodgers' next steps were going to be. But since that time, Tyler Glass now, coming to Los Angeles. Yamamoto, coming to Los Angeles. Shohei Itani, leaving $690 million to be paid out in 10 years at the end of his deal. Uh, what do you make of some of the moves the Dodgers have made since then? And how do you think it's going to pay off for them? Well, the
0: Dodgers went into the offseason attempting to rebuild a starting rotation from scratch. And in fairness, Shohei Otani by itself doesn't repair a starting rotation from scratch. I mean, we know he's having Tommy John surgery. We don't know what that's going to look like coming back. I think it would be awesome to see him transition into like a hybrid three inning reliever role late in games. But maybe he's still in the starting pitching mindset. But then the Dodgers came out and they traded for a former Cy Young finalist and handed out the largest contract to a pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball, which I thought was interesting that Yamamoto signed for $1 million more than what Garrett Cole signed for when he got his big free agent contract with the Yankees. Obviously, it's over 12 years, so the average annual value is lower, but the Dodgers essentially got themselves a Game 2 and Game 3 starter locked in their back pocket going forward and I've never seen Yamamoto pitch but I trust that 325 million dollars and the fact that there were four teams who were ready to offer him 300 million dollars or more suggests that he is the real deal and that he'll fit somewhere into this rotation for the Dodgers. Both of those are great moves. Adding Manuel Margot in the trade also from Tampa is a nice pickup because he'll be able to kind of hybrid with James Outman in the outfield and having another name in that lineup is going to be helpful for them because you do get into the 7, 8, 9, and like with most teams, it's kind of a, uh, uh, I'm not so sure about Jason Hayward or James Outman or some of the guys deeper in that lineup. So adding that little depth piece is nice for the Dodgers. And each of those three moves by themselves is an excellent, excellent move by the Dodgers. And when you put all three of them together, they have definitely improved their roster and all they had to give up was money. And a couple prospects hurt as much to lose as compared to some of the prospects they've traded away in deals for Trey Turner or Max Scherzer or guys in the past. I, I think they're feeling pretty good about the state of affairs right now.
1: Does it change anything at all for you when I contextualize it with like glass now he's never pitched over 150 innings or Yamamoto like power guy, small body. We've seen those guys burn out in four to five years and this is a, over a decade long deal. And then, of course, Shohei himself coming off a second Tommy John. He might just be the hitter version of Shohei, which is still excellent, but you're paying him 700 million. When I say those three things out loud, does that change at all the perception of these deals?
0: Well, technically, according to the competitive balance tax, you're only paying Shohei Otani 46 million per year over the. Next 10 years, which makes things a little bit sweeter when you look at those contract deferments. And by the way, I know it's 46 million against the competitive balance tax, but 44 million of that is just because of whatever math the Major League Baseball Players Association and collective bargaining agreement makes to say that it's 46 million. I mean, that's $44 million in cash that they are pocketing after this whole deal, which in reality, because the Dodgers are paying Potentially two hundred fifty or three hundred percent on luxury taxes. That forty four million dollars in cash actually looks like one hundred and twenty or one hundred and fifty million dollars in cash that the Dodgers are holding on to because of that deal. So they can afford to make mistakes. This is the the key difference between the what I call the haves and the have nots in baseball. Is that. You can afford to make a mistake if you are a top payroll team. I'll never forget the 2018 Red Sox, who were the best team maybe in the history of baseball, most dominant team, straight up cut Hanley Ramirez and took a $27 million penalty at the beginning of that season. They just said, sorry, we don't need you anymore. Goodbye. Take the losses and still put together maybe the most dominant team baseball has seen this century. So you have room to make mistakes if you're the Dodgers. And the thing that makes their life so much easier is those deferred payments because even if it's only saving 24 million a year against the competitive balance tax which is not an insignificant amount of money obviously 24 million dollars a year is not an insignificant amount of money but if you're saving that 24 million a year against the competitive balance tax you can afford to make more mistakes Which. Lord knows the Dodgers have made some mistakes in the past when it comes to their pitching staff. If Glasnow's arm never recovers or Yamamoto reaches year four and he's not the player that he was when he was playing in Japan, well, the Dodgers will have to reevaluate then. But the Dodgers, for the last four years, have missed on basically every pitcher they have tried to bring into that organization. So we'll see if this adds to a long line of Dodger mishaps or if these are the pitchers who, along with Otani will anchor their rotation for years to come
1: youtube premium is ad free youtube and background play so you can watch videos while reading searching shopping youtube premium it's way more than ad free try one month on us is it designed to work out this year obviously like you mentioned like shohei's not coming in at full strength as the dodgers are hoping he will down the line but if it doesn't work this year given the type of pressure that's going to be on the season uh what do you think would have to change in that instance do you think that would be the finally the straw that broke the camel's back with someone like dave roberts
0: that's interesting to think about because i would want to know how we got there because if it's injuries again you know it adds to the long line of just awful luck for the dodgers with injuries and Obviously, we can, we can take the injury cases with like Scherzer coming over in 2021 and then not being able to pitch in the NLCS. We could talk about Bueller, Tommy John, Dustin May, Tommy John, Gonsolin, Tommy John, and we can put those in one category. And then we can also put in another category Trevor Bauer and Julio Urias, both of whom will never pitch again in Major League Baseball for reasons that are not injury related. So we can kind of take both of those in separate contexts while also acknowledging the Dodgers have had some issues on the pitching staff. And I don't know which of that falls on Dave Roberts. I know some of the concerns with him have been taking starters out too early. People can attribute some of his management of pitchers to injuries as it relates to some of these guys, but I'm not quite sure where the sword will fall on Dave Roberts right now. We'll just kind of see how the season plays along. And in terms of like getting the pitching staff set for the future, I mean, So Bueller's not going to come back until at the very earliest, late this season. They don't suspect Gonsolin will be back until probably 2025. Obviously, Otani won't be back until 2025. They should get Dustin May back at some point, but Dustin May was at best a two or a three starter before he had the Tommy John surgery. So we'll see what ends up happening with his career. I'm just really interested to see where where they build out the rest of that rotation for this year. Because you're right, three of their top end starters are not coming back right now. The thing that would put all of this in question also is what is going to happen with Clayton Kershaw. Nobody really knows where Kershaw falls into this equation because he probably won't be back until May or June at the earliest. He's obviously a free agent right now. They'd love to have him back on a one-year contract, but does Kershaw want some more long-term security from a deal. This is probably the last paycheck that he's going to get. So Kershaw puts the whole thing in loop also. So more than like, does the sword fall on Dave Roberts? I'm not necessarily sure yet because I don't know how the rotation's going to fall. The thing that's way more interesting, I think, is what is going to happen with Clayton Kershaw. Because has Kershaw earned the right Mm -hmm. to choose how he ends his career with the Dodgers as somehow being the greatest pitcher in that organization's history. And yes, I'm including Sandy Koufax. Like, how do you factor Kershaw and his injuries and the end of his career into the new rotation that they're building?
1: Do you think uh, other MLB fans should have sour grapes about the deferments and how that worked out? And do you think that's a strategy that we'll start to see more often or moving forward? Or do you think the show is just a special case? In terms
0: of baseball fans being salty... Buddy, this is this is the the Star Wars Empire striking back, man. The, the, you thought the Empire was down. You thought the Empire was trying to be cheap by getting rid of Trey Turner and getting rid of Cody Bellinger. You thought the Empire was going to lay down when the, the San Diego Resistance came in and beat their 111-win Death Star. You thought they were going to lay down when the Diamondbacks came in and smoked them out the playoffs nah man this is the empire striking back sorry guys the dodgers are still the dodgers they are not afraid of you because they have infinite resources to which they can expand across the galaxy and destroy everything that they choose to see in their wake at least until they get to the playoffs and probably lose to like colorado or something like that but still the dodgers are striking back this is the game they play man it's the haves and the have-nots of baseball. Uh I don't think people should be upset over the deferments in terms of it being a, a trend or a one-off. This is definitely a one-off type of situation. One because the players union isn't thrilled about the giant deferments and when the new collective bargaining agreement comes up, they they're probably going to put caps on the deferments just to protect Current people, in the I mean, it's interesting because, like, current people get more money, but then the Dodgers are also... Maybe even owners will be upset about the deferments because of the competitive balance stuff. I suspect they'll put in caps, collectively bargained, on deferred payments. Uh, but the reason this is the one-off case is because Shohei Otani, in endorsements, makes, like, 300% more money than any other baseball player. He can afford to defer this money because he is in essence, his own economy with or without the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yes, baseball is his primary form of income because he's guaranteed $700 million from the Dodgers, but it's not his primary income in the present. And so I understand the deferments. It, it means that the 700000000 million won't quite be worth $700 million when he actually collects it because of the value of the dollar going down and uh you know he might live somewhere else so different tax rates and stuff like that i can't, i don't know exactly how much it's going to be but that also might have factored into the dodgers willingness to pay him nearly twice the amount of money of the next highest paid player in baseball is the fact that 700 million 10 years from now might not be worth what 700 million is yeah. today
1: i have a bit of a question with that let's say 5 years down the line this still isn't working out for whatever reason could be anything If they trade Shohei Ohtani with the deferments, does the other team take on all those deferments or the Dodgers back pay half of that? I'm curious on how that would work out.
0: They would probably have to negotiate it because Ohtani has a no trade clause and one of the most unique clauses that I've seen, which is that if the team sells or they fire Andrew Friedman, Otani can opt out of his contract, which is really (laughs) interesting to think about,
1: but well, yeah, that's crazy because of what we just literally talked about. Like, let's say this season is just a total bust for whatever reason, who lands on the sword, you would think it probably wouldn't be Andrew Friedman, given that his future is intrinsically tied to Shohei Otani's future.
0: This contract is so unique. And I assume the answer to your question is There will be like a negotiation to determine who's paying what when Otani gets traded. This happened with Giancarlo Stanton getting traded from the Marlins to the Yankees, where part of the condition of the deal was that the Yankees took on like 80 some percent of the contract. Meanwhile, when Nolan Arenado got traded from the Rockies to the Cardinals, the Rockies were paying like 100 billion of his 230 billion dollar contract contract is actually a bargain for Cardinals so much so that they gave Arenado a two year extension on top of the contract he was already getting. So I assume that it'll get negotiated by the two teams if and when Shohei Otani gets traded. I assume because he's taking so little money now, the future deferments are guaranteed. So like, if he opts out after five years because, say, Friedman got fired and Roberts got fired and they want to sell the team, say he opts out after five years, I assume that the $68 million in deferments for the next five years are already guaranteed by the Dodgers. So I assume they're already paying you know, the $340 million in deferments for the first five years, and then maybe they'll negotiate down the final five years. But I just assume that When he plays this year, he will be guaranteed 68 million in deferments by the Dodgers. And then when he plays next year, he'll be another 68 million. That's what I assume the contract is. But assuming things to be correct (laughs) in this Otani contract are not the easiest thing to do because obviously there are so many caveats and so many unique conditions. And and it's just such a unique contract, not because this is the the direction that the future of baseball is going, because Shohei Otani is just that unique of a free agent signing and that unique of a valuable baseball
1: player, (laughs) a true unicorn of the sport. Um, All right, guys. Well, what do you think of the moves the Dodgers have made in recent weeks? Do you think there's more moves to be made? God, I hope not. (laughs) Leave a like on the video, subscribe to our channel, follow us on all our social medias from Jujun College. We'll see you next time.